Hey everybody, it's Richard Harris and Scott Lease with our 254th episode of the Surf and Sales podcast um, in 18 months. Um, so Scott, I don't know, I'm tired, uh, not tired of doing them, but wow, who knew? Um, super excited today and before we introduce our guest, want to thank our sponsors of Lead 411, Gong.io, the game changer in conversation intelligence. Salesforce Sales Cloud and Vidyard, uh, who is also leading the space in video content. So without any further ado, and Rob, I didn't even look it up. I'm not sure how you want to be introduced, but here, head of revenue operations. Sorry, there we go. Uh, Rob Finkelstein at Heyday. So Rob, thanks for joining us. Um, and I know, you know, we're going to dive into a couple of things, but um, please give people a little bit of your background, maybe tell them like, you know, what are your deal sizes like? What's your what's your average sales cycle? Um, just to give them some context as we have conversations. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, so Heyday is an e-commerce marketplace acceleration company. Um, so what we do is we are acquiring um, and investing in the next generation of leading e-commerce brands um, and maximizing their growth. And we're specifically today focused across um, the online marketplace ecosystem. So revenue operations and sales at Heyday uh, is quite, it looks quite a bit different than it does at say a SaaS company or a lot of typical other companies. The product we're selling is an acquisition of these people's business. Um, and so, you know, we have a full, today we have a full cycle account executive team with three account executives. They're, you know, handling inbound, but obviously doing a lot of um, outbound prospecting, you know, having conversations with owners of, e, you know, e-commerce companies, primarily, you know, Amazon sellers today. Um, and so the deal is, is us acquiring the business. So the average deal size um, is somewhere, you know, I got to be a little bit careful about the, the specifics that I give out, but average deal size is, is anywhere, you know, 10 to $30 million um, with that sales cycle being anywhere from, you know, four to six months typically. That blows my mind, right? Like that is in six months or four months, you can put that together. Um, and I know, I know we don't want to, you can't give away all the secret sauce, but um, certainly certainly brings to mind like, okay, revenue operations. So how do you define rev ops versus sales ops? You know, you, you've sort of grown up in the space and it seems to be a, a good topic these days. Yeah, absolutely. Um... I mean, I, I don't want to overcomplicate it. I think simplify like revenue operations supports the operations strategy, execution, and analytics that surround all functions that enable and support revenue, uh, the generation and retention of revenue. Whereas I think sales operations is a little more focused on solely on that new business, you know, development activities. Um, so I'd say sales operations is typically focused on you know, business development, account executives, you know, things that lead to new revenue, where revenue operations is focused on that, but also um, customer success, they're supporting marketing, um, implementation, you know, really the entire customer journey from end to end. So I see sales operations as a function that falls under revenue operations. Well, um, what are you, who are like the gold standard people in, in RevOps that everybody should, um, you know, kind of follow and learn from, like, where do you go to seek your ultimate truth? 
Yeah, it's a good question. Um, a lot of thought leadership out there. Um, I would say a couple companies just from my experiences with them that I think do it really well. And it's just easy to call out two companies that that both raise, you know, really impressive, impressive rounds at really impressive valuations like Outreach and Gong. Um, you kind of think about how Outreach has been at the forefront of modern, you know, sales, today's sales engagement. Um, and I think they really have like not only mastered it, but continue to evolve, you know, what a high caliber sales engagement function looks like. Um, I think Gong, you know, with conversation intelligence um, and now, you know, the things they're putting around, you know, pipeline management and deal acceleration um, are kind of a best in class company when it comes to, you know, selling um, and improving selling and things like that. Um, but I've also taken company, you know, demos or had calls or worked with other companies that I think are doing it really well. So I think, I think Clary, um, not a company I've specifically used, but they put good content out there, are good thought leaders in the space. Um, and I actually think Salesforce for being, you know, such a giant company does, does a really good job as well. So you're, you're in a unique position, not just because of what the company does and, and sells and acquires, um, but because you're in RevOps and you're one of the first people in there. For context, there's only a couple salespeople um, and a head of growth and Rob, RevOps. <clears throat> yeah, I've been a big proponent of getting RevOps involved really, really early. From your perspective and your side of the table, um, why is it so critical for, for sales ops, rev ops to be a part of the sales org and growth right from the start? Um, yeah. So luckily, thanks. Thanks to you, Scott. Um, I got the opportunity to, to really get in early and start to build out the revenue operations function from scratch uh, early in the company's history and in parallel with us starting our, our founding account executive team. Um, and so you know, I did get to experience really building this out from scratch and I get to imagine what it would be like uh, if, if we weren't doing that from the very beginning. Um, and I think like the easiest, the easiest answer is since we started, I've been asked so many questions around the performance of the business, what's working, what's not, what do we do next, this and that. Um, we would have no capability to answer any of those questions. Um, if, it, if it weren't for revenue operations. So the data that's collected in the CRM, the automation of the collection of, you know, as much data as possible, leveraging sales engagement platforms and, and other integrations um, and really creating formal SLAs and formal operate, you know, go-to-market strategy and formal operating procedures has put us in a place where the data architecture is very clean um, there's a very straightforward process that we're following. And so to be able to understand what's working, what's not, and really, you know, make tweaks and test different things as you go, the existence of revenue operations has been obviously essential to that. Um, otherwise, what I imagine it would look like and what they said is just, we'll figure it out. So you would have every rep with their own spreadsheet. They'd be making calls on their cell phone, sending emails. Yeah. Talk, and, have, you, have you been in that position before where you came into a company and you hadn't been there from the beginning and they had no rev ops function and you showed up and there's a dozen reps with a dozen, a dozen different spreadsheets. Everybody's sending different, you know, email communications, people talking, you know, on the phone, different running demos, different. Can you talk about that? If you've experienced that about how hard it is to clean up that mess and get everything aligned. Yeah, I, I actually have, uh, I came with, I came into a company where at the time they had about, 45 BDRs 
on 25 account executives and then not to mention like the post sales teams. Um, and they had only, this company was raising a series C at the time and they had only invested in promoting a sales manager into a sales ops role for the first time about a year prior to me joining. Um, so that, that person was doing an amazing job with what they had. They did a great job learning the function, but obviously that's not enough to support such a, in the company was growing, you know, over hundred percent year over year. Um, and so it was very challenging. Like I remember in my first week, one of the questions I asked was like, is there a daily target for calls? And the answer was, well, technically it's this, but since data call information doesn't sync reliably back to the CRM, we're not really enforcing it. And I'm like, well, then how do you know, you know, if your reps are being productive, how do you know? And it was just kind of like, well, you know, if they're, you know, hitting their quota, if they're not. And so there's just such a lack of, of insight that was needed. Um, and the first, the first six months of my time there was, was fixing systems, getting insight, getting formal processes in place. Um, the way the data was architected in the CRM was super prohibitive. So I spent about six months just, just focused on that. Well, it, seems like, it seems like instead of ever going back to a VP of sales role, you should become a RevOps person because you'd last. Well, I'm, not, I'm not smart enough to be a RevOps person. You're, but you're smart That's enough to hire the people underneath you to do the. Yes, but, but that part's true. <laughs> You'd last longer than 18 months, right? You'd That's probably months. true as well. <laughs> That's the reason. So um, so how did that work? Like, how did, did the team get it? Like, you know, you're talking about big change management, particularly at that level, right? And, and then I'd like to come back to say, okay, you're okay. So before you do that, like, you know, before you work into that, like if you're a series A or something, like what do you look for to build first? But how did you even just navigate the anxiety that, of change that I'm sure existed when you walked in the door. You were uh, almost like a CFO walking in, so to speak, if you're not kidding. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I like cried as I was leaving the office every day for, no, I'm kidding. Um, no, the, the managing the anxiety, that is a lot of what it was. <clears throat> so first of all, I think having the buy-in from management and the buy-in from leadership is essential. So luckily I got to start at the same time and was brought in by a new chief revenue officer that was starting at the time. Um, so there was kind of a cultural shift happening within the revenue org as I joined, um, more formalization, less tribal knowledge. And so that really did lend to being able to, to make these changes. I think the most important thing is one, obviously laying out everything that you have to do, understanding the effort involved and the effort towards adoption that's involved and doing proper prioritization. Um, and I think it's super important that you're actually communicating the why, like what, not only why is this important, but what is the sales team or why are, what are the people adopting these changes going themselves going to get out of it? And obviously like, you know, explain, so you're explaining to the sales team, why is this going to make you more successful? Why is it going to make the business more successful? Um, so yeah, I think it's all about prioritization and yeah, we switched sales engagement platforms. Um, we, you know, move to a whole new series of reports and dashboards to manage the business. Um, but, you know, you trust the process and you start to see results. And I think that that gets you buy-in as you, as you continue to optimize. Did you run, you know, and this is, this is not meant to be critical. Did you run into the challenge I often see where the people who got you where you are may not be the people who are going to take you where you need to go, but were you able to navigate that in such a way because you, you know, once you have a team of that big, there's hopefully there's talent, right? Like there, it's not like you got, you know, 44 people and, you know, you know, 10 are being productive, right? Um, 
at least I hope. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think I think that's where like balance is pretty important because every this is a team. This isn't an optional thing. Uh, I think one of the worst things you can do is coddle top performers to the point where no, it's okay. You don't have to do this because like we just want you to be happy. Um, but there's a balance there at the same time, like every rep doesn't sell the same way and every rep isn't successful in the same way. So it's making sure that they still have the room to do the things that make them top performers while, you know, complying and being within the new framework that, that the team is operating under. Um, and hundred percent, especially, you know, when you have a team, a company raising a bunch of VC and hiring like crazy and growing like crazy, you're going to have sales reps that were at there at the beginning and will be pretty shocked by how drastically things are changing. Um, and often that comes with, you know, uh, increase in oversight and, and things like that. And you have to be, you know, sometimes you're going to part ways and some people are going to rise to the occasion. Yeah. I've always said, look, if you got a team of 44, there's a pecking order, right? And number four, five, and six are happy to become number one, two, and three. And oftentimes that energy will, you know, propel them to even do better than what was there before. Not always, but they it's not always bad, right? To, to lose. We don't ever want to lose a top performer. And I'm, look, these are humans. And so they're not, you know, they're not a number as Scott's new book is. Um, you're way more than that. It's, it's just sometimes you have to make those tough decisions. So what do you do in the beginning, right? You're coming in, you know, you're not inheriting 44 people, right? What are the top three things you would tell people, okay, this is what it is. And when you say words like, you know, you know, if you're like, oh, put systems in place. Okay, well, what kind of system? Like, I wanna, I wanna get tactical. Sure, okay. So systems, process, and data. Okay. Systems, um, I think obviously cable stakes is you need a CRM. Um, so we put Salesforce into place. If you're doing, I mean, I think no matter what you need a sales engagement platform, but if you're doing any kind of outbound, you definitely need a sales engagement platform. And then I think data and systems, right? There are systems that enable the data or that provide the data. So that could lump in there too. But I think those are, I mean, in today's world where there's 10,000 different sales tech vendors, it's easy to get FOMO and get overwhelmed and think that you need a tech solution for every single aspect of your process. And I actually think in the beginning, like that's, that's new adoption on 10 different systems. That's implementation. That's making them work together. And so I really think starting out systems wise, like CRM and sales engagement are table stakes, but I'm not sure anything else is essential at that point. So how do you, but how do you navigate those three things? Cause they're all important. Like they're, they're all urgent and they're all important. Right. Yeah. So do you start with, Hey, I need to look at my data first. I need to look at like, how do you, how would you advise someone like, you know, Hey, Rob, I'm coming to you. I want you to mentor me, you know, and you're like, Oh, sure. Okay. So let's talk about your systems process and data. Where do I even start? Because you can, yeah. to your point, you can overwhelm yourself with tools if you don't have a smart roadmap to it. Yeah, so I, I, I think it's going to partially, you as a RevOps leader, you do have to come to the table with that framework and that plan. But at the same time, um, I think part of it has to align with the priorities and the motion of the business. So when I first joined, we were launching a large marketing campaign. Two weeks after I joined, we were going to launch a large marketing campaign and we we're going to start three account executives. So I knew the first two things that I had to do were create those cadences and the content around responding to inbound leads because we were about to get a large influx of inbound leads to a brand new team. So we needed to have the cadence and content there to support them. 
Um, and we needed to have CRM in place to obviously capture the leads and capture the data. So to me, those, you know, that was obvious because we were, you know, going to see a large influx of inbound. And then most importantly, you need to arm your end users, arm your sales team for success. So things like um, call scripting and, you know, objection and rebuttal handling um, and things like, you know, competitive landscape analysis, um, product knowledge, industry knowledge. If you're going to be, you know, bringing in a sales team and they're going to be getting thrown into it right away, um, you need to be focused on arming them with as many resources and abilities um, and training as you possibly can. And then I would say after that comes the data and the content and the cadence and the process around outbound. Um, if that's something you're going to do, obviously that takes a lot. It has to be built out, but like can't put the cart before the horse. If the sales team gets a response to an email or gets a call that's picked up, they need to be able to utilize that, um, you know, make the most out of that engagement. What are some creative kind of practical tips that you've um, implemented to simplify sales reps' lives inside of the CRM, inside of all these tools? Because you kind of alluded to it. I don't think you used the phrase, but there's tool fatigue going on. So what are a few things that you've kind of done that um, gets greater adoption and, you know, prevents this like fatigue where reps have, to, you know, they feel like there's this laborious process where they've got to enter in, you know, 30 pieces of information before they can, you know, move something to the next stage. Like what are some kind of hacks that you've put together there? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, limiting data entry to the greatest uh, extent possible by automating data capture as much as you can. So for example, in terms of outbound, like our sales team isn't creating an account in Salesforce and they're not out on their own looking for contacts um, to the greatest extent that we can handle it. So like I, you know, I myself as the RevOps function am loading all the accounts into the system. We're working with a third party firm that's sourcing contact info. It's a little less straightforward on Amazon than it is in a lot of businesses. So yeah. And just info we have, but I didn't put it on them, right? Like that's my responsibility. So now you're going into the system and everything's right there, ready for you to attack. Um, and then talk about like logging calls. Like why would in today's world, why would a sales rep ever be logging a call other than like clicking the button to log the call on the sales engagement platform and that's syncing to Salesforce. So all their email, SMS, meeting recordings, meeting information, call activity, um, whatever, everything you can possibly automate, you should be. It's just less that they have to do. Um, I think a central framework for taking notes so that everyone's being consistent in how they're logging notes into the CRM. Um, I think documenting, documenting the processes, like obviously you don't want them to have to read through a ton of process documentation, but just the basics of like, this is when you create an opportunity and this is how you do it. This is the definition of the different stages, um, so on and so forth. And then I'd also say getting feedback from the sales team, like consistently, like what are, right as you start, what are you guys seeing that works? What have you done at past companies that has worked then and that hasn't? Um, as the RevOps leader, you have to be the subject matter expert, but if the sales team is a part of the process, they're going to buy in, into the decision-making and strategy, they're going to buy into it. Did you hear that, Richard? He said salespeople should not salespeople should not have to source their own leads. Well, that that was one part that I liked. The other part was um, you know, 
don't make them read a big thick book of you know processes and procedures. Um, although I'm curious how big your book is, Rob, in terms of process and procedure. If I'm a new rep, how big is it? Not that big. We're the book on learning about the Amazon ecosystem and what an Amazon seller, you know, what their life is like. The, that book is much larger than the How to Navigate Salesforce. That's the piece that I, I feel like people overlook so much in onboarding and training is that your, you know, your industry and customer knowledge should be twice as much as your as your process knowledge, if not three times. And I think it's the opposite because people don't know how to do it. And I think also in startups, it's very different too, because they don't necessarily have it all, but I, I think that's a good measure. So I, I like that. Um, we talked earlier before we jumped on and I made you pause on, uh, uh, you know, you know, sort of action over, you know, intent kind of thing, which Scott gets on me all about. And, you know, you sort of put your hands in your, you know, you almost did like a, a you know, face palm thing. So how, how do you navigate that? How do you, cause you're driving a big ship too. So how do you name yeah. it? You... Absolutely. Well, and especially in, in revenue roles and sales roles, like the things you're doing are going to be customer or prospect facing. So you, you do have to be, you do want to measure twice before you cut once you do have to be careful, but at the same time, um, gosh, what's the, the phrase? Like perfection is the enemy of good of great or something. Um, and so, yeah, like an MVP is okay. Like ship something, see how, see how it works. And like, you're never going to get anything done if you don't just commit to uh, a culture of like execution and constant iteration. So an example would be like spending three weeks on a sales cadence versus spending a day on a sales cadence, letting it go live. And then after two weeks, looking at your uh, engagement rates and response rates and what types of responses you're getting and continuously iterating that way. Um, and so, yeah, I think often leadership like wants to control everything. Um, and it's important to help them understand like maybe in certain scenarios, why that's not necessary and what benefits you might be able to see from being a little more agile with, you know, what you're willing to do in terms of go to market. Where is this field going next? What do you think the next frontier frontier is? For revenue operations? Yeah, for RevOps in particular, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I'm, I'm starting to see, I mean, one thing that I think is kind of obvious is like teams are continuing to invest more and more in their revenue operations functions and their team. Um, I think over the last five to 10 years, you've seen a lot of like RevOps teams of one or a very low level of specialization. So like you have someone who's a RevOps manager, but are they really just a Salesforce admin or um, you know, you have someone calling themselves RevOps, but they're not really supporting all the go-to-market revenue functions. So I think the evolution kind of looks like, you know, you have a RevOps leader and you have specialized functions within the team. Um, you have someone focused on the systems. You have someone focused on marketing, someone focused on success, someone focused on new business. Um, so I think specialization within RevOps is a big one. Um, and I just think, I think we'll almost see like getting smarter with systems. I think people are buying a lot of tech that they don't know how to adopt. And so I guess what I'm hoping is that people realize that it takes a large investment to get, you know, a return on even one thing that you're implementing or doing. Um, and yeah, it'll be interesting to see where the, just along the tech landscape, like, I think it'll be interesting to see where that goes. 
it'll be interesting to see if there's a shift where more functionality gets consolidated into fewer tools. Because right now it seems like there's a separate tool for everything. Um, but as these, as that landscape matures, it'll be interesting to see how things can kind of consolidate over time. How do you think about the spend in, in, in your vendor kind of toolbox? Like, is there a formula that you use? Like, you know, number of reps times X number of dollars equals Y, like what's, I'm trying to get a sense. This is for sales leaders out there. Um, Cause they ask me this question quite a bit. It's like, well, how do I know if I have too much stuff? Or how do I know if I've underinvested? Like, what is the what is the amount people are spending on a per rep basis per month? Do you, how, how do you think about that? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I don't know if I've ever put it into a per rep basis. Uh, I've seen I've seen stuff around that. That's shocking to me because I always hear the phrase of you know, what's my sales stack per rep? Interesting. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. I think I mean I think it's really important. I think what's more important is understanding how to analyze a return on investment and understanding that like, it's not just like implement the tool, get an ROI. So for example, like oftentimes you'll hear, well, if this, this tool just helps me close one more deal, then it's worth it. But like, is it? So like, first of all, um, is the deal you close is the revenue similar to your cost of the tool? Because if so, you didn't pay for the tool. It's your margin. It's your bottom line dollars that you generate specifically solely from the use of this tool has to be, you know, what covers your initial cost. Um, and so actually understanding the unit economics of your deals and being able to relate that back to an ROI is super important. Um, and I think just not being as simple as like, well, if this helps us close as many deals, I think you truly have to understand what is this tool going to help us do? Oh, it's going to help us put five more opportunities in the pipeline per month. Okay. What's our average deal side? What's our conversion rate? You know, what does that look like? Um, and then I think, and then I think understanding the cost of adoption, the cost, you know, how much bandwidth is it going to be to implement it? And what is this potentially going to distract reps from doing, um, you know, in order to use this tool? And so, yeah, I think just having a more rigorous analytical framework for, yeah. for understanding ROI is important. But what, what's a, a reasonable adoption timeline in your mind like if you purchase an, a, a tool and you're able to roll it out train on it and it's inside of a week and people are using it inside of a month like what what is the what is a good amount of time there you think yeah i think it depends but i would say definitely inside of a month um but probably more than a week so i'd say like and it depends i think something like a contact enrichment service um, like the adoption should probably be under a week, right? Like you find the person on LinkedIn and you're pulling in their contact info and just making sure that someone's actually doing that and always looking for fresh contact info, like that shouldn't take a lot of handholding. Something like a new sales engagement platform. I mean, they have 10 different functions that support 10 different areas of the workflow. So that might be closer to a month. Um, and I think it's going to be about prioritizing, you know, the most impactful ones. Yeah, it's interesting. I always tell people, you know, because I hear this all the time. Well, if we just close one deal, we pay for you. And I'm like, if you close one deal, you should be fired. <laughs> right. You need to, like I said, you need to go present this to your upper management that, you know, even Richard says, if we don't do 10x what we pay him, then Richard failed. 
right? Like that's sort of how I see it. And so it's on my job to do that. And to a certain extent, you put that on the vendor, not always, right? They, but that adoption matters because they're always about customer success. Um, I, have a, I have a question, um, which is, um, you know, who do you like working with the most? The VP of marketing, the VP of sales, or the VP of customer success? As a RevOps leader, who do you like working with the most? Yes, you have to rank them one, two, three. Um, and why? Walk and into why? a trap on this one. All right, well, it's, it's, the v, it's the VP of sales, then it's the VP of customer success, and then it's the VP of marketing. Uh, I know it's a super surprising. I, I actually love this answer. I want to know why VP of marketing gets ranked last. Um, okay, so I'll answer that. I think VP of marketing, and by the way, I've had like really good experiences with marketing leadership at my past companies, but you guys made me rank them and I had- to Present company excluded. Because of, you know, of, of course you don't. I, I'm just thinking about the VPs of marketing that I, I yeah. want to share this episode with and, and give yeah, them a little bit I of help, you know? Right. I think this is just a very like sales marketing alignment. Like everyone's always talking about sales and marketing alignment. And I just think there's, um, this isn't a problem of any individual VP of marketing. And if anything, this might be the issue with the VP of sales or the CRO or something. Um, but those departments, marketing sales are typically incentivized by different KPIs or are based, typically measured based on different KPIs or different outcomes. When in fact, obviously like this is the same team moving towards the same goal. And so I think that sometimes marketing will one um, have an, maybe a, a will have potentially a um, not super a completely accurate perception of the the what it takes to get the sales team engaging around a certain thing. So like an obvious answer would be like calling content downloads, right? Like I've worked with marketing leaders before that wants to treat a content download as a lead that we can call them because inbound, you know, opportunities are a really important KPI. Um, and so I think that is on revenue operations to really bridge that gap and uh, have every team driving towards the most important goals and the most important KPIs. But sometimes it can be challenging with, you know, they want to make their stuff look like it was successful. Um, and that measure of success might not always be aligned with other functions in the rebel. Um, I, I think this is really, really good. So who writes better content, uh, sales or marketing then? I think it depends. I don't know. The, the marketing teams I've worked with were actually really good content writers. So I'm going to say marketing for that one. All right. Yeah, he's just, he's just, he's just placating. Rob, the crowd. Well, Rob, Rob, Rob is a bit unique in my experience in that as a RevOps leader, he participates heavily in yes. copywriting and the creation of, of copywriting um, rather than just, you know, loading it into the enablement tool. You, you feel pretty, pretty strongly that that should be best practices, Rob? Um, well, it all depends on what your team looks like. So I think that, uh, and yeah, I, we're, we are limited in terms of resources on the new business side of the current company. Like we don't have a marketing team, we don't have an enablement team. And so like, that's kind of the, the obvious answer. Um, and so I've been writing the content and then I bring it to the sales team and they tear it apart and tell me like how we should rewrite it, but it at least gives us something to go off of. I think typically that's something you want enablement to drive 
and sales leadership to really own. So at, at ShipBob, which is my last company, we actually had something called Content Committee. Um, it was the revenue, or someone on the revenue operations team was like the quarterback of that team. So they made sure that they were meeting bi-weekly and they were taking a data-driven approach to content creation and optimization. But it was a collection of, we had a, a couple of people from the marketing team. We had a handful of BDRs, a couple managers, team leads, and they worked together as a committee um, to create and optimize content. I thought that was a really impactful approach. We've been talking a lot about um, kind of what to do when you're in the role and where the role is going. Can we go back all the way to the very beginning and what kind of questions should one be prepared for if they're interviewing for a RevOps role, a head of RevOps role. Help, help the people who are interested in this function, getting into it for the first time, or are trying to move up in, in that field. What are some of the questions that, that they need to be prepared for and, and the, the right kind of answers to those questions? Oof, yeah, that's a lot of questions. That's a good one. And I did the, and I just did this like six months ago, so it should be more fresh on my mind. Um, but I think like obviously something you're going to get get asked is what data is important? What data should we be looking at? Um, what data should we be collecting? And so I think the answer there is kind of like there's different types of data. There's data on your market. So I think having um, a really clear understanding of what your total addressable market is um, and that size and how you go out and get it. Um, as well as your ideal customer profile. It's amazing to me how often we're still like selling to the wrong to the wrong people at the company. Um, and I say that like in terms of like 50% of the stuff that tries to get sold to me is just like a total mess. So I think understanding your total addressable market, understanding your ideal customer profile and who that persona is. Um, and then I would say like funnel, like this is very obvious and it's not one size fits all, but like funnel math is very important. So as you get going and your sales team is performing activities and penetrating territories, putting ops in the funnel, closing deals, like how many calls does it take to get a meeting? How many meetings does it take to get an op? What's your opportunity conversion rate? Um, but I think, but also you can't oversimplify like opportunity conversion rate in a vacuum uh, is probably going to tell you the wrong thing. So you probably need to break that down by, it could be um, a, a market or a vert. It could be by a vertical. It could be by a size. It might be by a size bucket within each vertical. Um, and you don't want to overanalyze, but like you're going to be, you know, looking at the wrong things if you're not getting granular enough. So I think that funnel math and, you know, things like sales velocity. Um, and then I think there's more, I don't know if this is as much as that, but there's more contextual things um, like, you know, what's what kind of, what kind of contextual things? Like does somebody have to have sold before? They have to have the context of knowing what it's like to make cold calls all day long, to get rejected on demos. What kind of context are you talking about? Um, no, I just meant the context around like contextual data, um, like like email. You know what's working in terms of I, I know emails and calls. Like you might have an intelligence tool, um, but to zoom to zoom back out into what else are they going to ask you? They're going to ask you what systems and tech you need. So it's obviously important to understand what the team is focused on today and where the biggest gaps are. Um, <laughs> um, and so, so yeah, like being able to answer what kind of systems we need, they're going to ask you what the team should look like. Like 
how many people should be in each role based on the goals we want to hit. So obviously it's important for you to understand the data um, to, to, to make a recommendation around what the team structure should look like. Um, they might ask you who should own what within certain things, like who should own the creation of, of content writing, who should create, who should own CRM, who should own, you know, this and that. Um, I'm trying to think of what else, like, I think things around go to market, like where should we be focused? Should we be focused within these segments or these territories? Um, those are probably some of the more common questions you're going to see in an interview. Um, and then, and then again, it just like, depends, like it, something that I was caught off guard in an interview in the past is I was asked the specific unit economics um, and, and, you know, data around like, what's your customer acquisition costs and lifetime value of your customer and payback period and so on and so forth. Like if you're getting interviewed by the CFO or the director of finance, you need to think about what questions are going to be important to that person. Um, and so the, in that context, like those are things that you're going to want to know. Sorry to distract you. Um, I was watching my son and his friend yeah, outside. I was just sort of apologizing. So people wonder why Rob stumbled for a second. It was my fault. Um, you know, before, we, before we go into our, our last question, a quick shout out to um, our sponsors of Salesforce, Sales Cloud, Lead411, Vidyard, and Gong.io, the game changer um, in revenue intelligence. So Thanks to them, we appreciate their support. So Rob, we always do this at the end of every episode, which is, you know, do you have a question for us that we can answer? Ooh, oh man, I should have came more prepared for this one. Do I have a question you guys should answer? Yeah, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna turn it back on you. What do you, what do you guys think the best revenue operations teams are doing in the next three to five years? Like how are the, the best revenue operations leaders from your perspective, what are they doing that's setting them apart from your average RevOps team? I think they're learning the craft more, but very specifically, and, and I think you have to be of a certain size, but they have to be paying a certain percentage of time to where's this AI gonna really take us? Like how is AI really gonna benefit me? Um, and it's gonna be very different at series A versus B, C, you know, D and public companies. Because I think that is the next forefront. And right now, you know, a couple of years ago it was, we have an algorithm, right? Like that was everybody's pitch, right? Before that was, you know, we can make you more effective and efficient, everybody's pitch. And now we're hearing, we've got AI behind us. And it's like, particularly sales leaders, like, okay, prove it to me, show me your AI, right? And, um, and I think the curious ones, people who are being curious are the ones that are going to win. So that's the first piece. And I think the other things that they're doing are, to your point, anything that I can prevent my rep from typing that can be captured, recorded, transcribed, put in the CRM and, and built into a scoring mechanism, whatever that looks like for you. Those are the pieces that I see the successful people doing because, and it's always a, you know, a cat and mouse between you know, getting the rep to do it, then comes a tool that does some level of efficiency. Now, all of a sudden that tool uh, you maybe outgrown it. It's not outdated, but you've outgrown it. And then, which then means you go back to manual for a little bit and then you move forward again with the next. So that's what I see at a high level. Yeah. My, I think that's, oh yeah. Please Scott. So my, my thought is that um, I think what is going to happen is people who move into the RevOps function um, are going to come from some of these other departments 
it's going to become much more of a career path and therefore the folks in head of revenue operations roles are going to have more of a contributor kind of background. Like they're going to be used to copywriting. They're going to be used to cold calling. They're going to be used to doing demand gen kind of stuff. Um, and I think that leads to point number two, which is you're going to have to be able to surface a lot of insights and be very proactive about it. Um, as a partner to people in these other departments and the ones closest to the tools and all the data, I think your job is to, hey, we found this, I'm delivering it to you. This shows kind of where our problem is. Now I, as a sales leader, can go coach on that particular thing. Um, I'm, I'm pretty tired of uh, the VP of spreadsheets or as what Richard called himself, the dashboard manager. Um, I think, you know, part of the reason there's a coaching problem in in sales is because sales leadership is spending too much time staring at data all day long and not enough time with their people coaching them. And so I think you got to surface those insights. And I think what eventually happens is if you've been a contributor, you move into RevOps, you surface insights proactively, you're going to find yourself with a seat at the executive table. And, and I think it's not that many more years before ops, RevOps kind of functionality finds themselves with VP titles and, and in the executive room. And I think that's what the best people will do. I think I already see some of that to some extent. Um, and I can tell you that, you know, I have PTSD from when I worked for Scott and he would text us all, get off your CPU, right? He, yeah. All he would preach to us was sit next to your reps all day long. Um, and it was a balance between, okay, well, we do have to do some level of management, you know, dashboarding stuff, but he was really good at encouraging that, which was something I really needed. Some of the other managers were, I think, better at it, but um, yeah, you know, but I just, you know, I still get off your CPU. We're like, what's a fucking CPU? So- It means computer, Richard. Get I, off your- Yeah, right. Central processing unit, Scott. <laughs> I'm not aware of what CPU means, so. Uh, let's remember, uh, I, was, I was using a CPU when you were still a teenager, so. Well, that's probably true. Yeah. I, I should know better than for you to understand text language, yeah. you know, from 2021, Richard. Come on. I was curious if you even caught Rob's uh, Ross Perot reference for, you know, measure twice and cut once, but I- I did not. Yeah, exactly. So- I did not. I missed that. Well, it, I didn't realize it, was, it was his reference, so there you go. Say that again? I didn't realize it was his reference. There you go. Yeah, exactly. That's how, that's how old I am, people. Thank you. Um, so, Rob, thanks so much, man. We really appreciate, like, really diving deep on this topic that I see people talking about all the time now. And I particularly think in 2021, the rest of this year and next year, it's really going to explode because from 2022, everybody had to do this hard reset, which was probably healthy, um, you know, for, for the business. And aside from, like, the physical piece of people being hurt. I don't mean to make light of that, but uh, thank you so much, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you for having me, guys. Really enjoyed the conversation.